series, but before we do that, we have a video that we're going to watch together, so if we could put that up. For thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. We're going to look at the second key word here, Lord, written in all capital letters. This is the personal name of Israel's God. We first learn the meaning of this name in the story of Moses and the burning bush in the book of Exodus chapter 3. God appears to Moses and he commissions him to liberate the Israelites from slavery. And so Moses wonders, what if people ask the name of the God who has sent me? And so God responds, tell them, Ehyeh has sent me to you. Now, that Hebrew word Ehyeh means I will be. In other words, God's name means that he is the one who is and who will be. God's existence doesn't depend on anyone or anything else. This God simply is. But it will sound kind of strange for Moses to go say to the Israelites, I will be has sent me to you. Only God can say, I will be. So in the next sentence, God tells Moses the version he should say aloud, Yahweh, the God of our ancestors, he has sent me to you. Now, that word Yahweh is the ancient Hebrew form of the verb he will be. And this is the personal name of the God of Israel. It appears over 6,500 times in the Old Testament. Now, here's what's interesting. Over the centuries, Israelites wanted to honor the sacred nature of this divine name. So, as they read the Hebrew Bible aloud and they came to this name, they stopped saying Yahweh and instead started saying the Hebrew word for Lord, which is Adonai. Now this practice has been continued throughout the centuries and so later when people started translating the Bible into English, they adopted the same practice. Instead of spelling out the divine name, they translated it as LORD spelled in all capital letters. Okay, you got that? Good, because there's more. Ancient Jewish scribes wanted to prevent anyone from even accidentally saying this name aloud when you read the Hebrew Bible. And so they came up with a visual device to remind you to make sure you say Adonai. They took the four consonant letters of the divine name. These letters correspond to our English letters Y-H-W-H. Then they inserted the three vowels from the word Adonai and combined these together to create an artificial hybrid word, which if you pronounced it, it would say Yahuwah, but no Israelite ever said Yahuwah. It's simply a visual reminder to say the word Adonai. Now, it gets more interesting. Much later, Christian scribes came along who didn't know that Yahuwah was an artificial word. And so they began to say it aloud and spell it in their writings. This is the word that eventually entered into English as Jehovah. It's a word many people still use today. But the main thing is the word Lord in all capital letters is an indication of the divine name. Don't confuse it with the word Lord in your English translations that's not in all capital letters. That is the actual Hebrew word Adon, which just means Lord or Master. This word can refer to people like kings or the master of a servant, even a shepherd over his sheep. And sometimes biblical authors will use this word to refer to God, like in the phrases the Lord of all the earth or the Lord of lords. But behind all of these words, Yehovah, Lord, Adonai, stands the original divine name of the God of Israel. It refers to the one who was, who is, and who forever will be. That was interesting, wasn't it? Um, good morning. <laughs> that was just a little bonus. Um, we're going to be talking about Yahweh today. And I wanted to give us a little bit of foundation. Um, I actually had some people ask me recently, what kind of religion are you? Um, and I was like, I'm a Christian. And they're like, but you, you use like a different name for God. It's like a weird one. And I was like, oh, Yahweh? They're like, yeah, where'd you get that from? I was like, oh, that's actually God's name. It would be like if I called you lady or guy, that would be calling God, God. But Yahweh is his actual name. Anyway, it was a great conversation. But that's why we should call him Yahweh. And by the way, he never said, don't say my name out loud, <laughs> did he? We created all these systems to protect ourselves from calling God the intimate name that he wanted us to call him. Are you Facebook living right now? <laughs> I love you. No, Michelle, you're awesome. Go for it. 
Um, I did, I'm, a few years ago, I did an incredible course about world religions, and one of the things that's uh, fascinating and disturbing about the use of God, G-O-D, or Lord, in the Bible, instead of using the name Yahweh, is that because it is the generic word for deity, God, that some of the Bibles get translated to be the same name, God, that those local people call their God that is not God. Problem. We should call him Yahweh. Give it a try. Okay, that was, the, that was just the bonus. That wasn't actually what we're talking about today. But it's a good one. And I know it can be weird because you're like, I don't know him as that. But that's what we're going to talk about today. Okay. Um, <clears throat> Happy New Year, apparently. It already feels like months have passed. Because Sunday, we're so far into the new year already. Happy New Year. Um, who set New Year's resolutions? Two, three. And how's it going? Still, still on board? Excellent. You know, it's funny. I was thinking about how the whole world likes to celebrate New Year's. Either January 1st or Chinese New Year. There's all kinds of parties. What is that? It's just a new, it's just another day. But I think inside of us, we really like to like, let's get rid of that year. <laughs> I would like a fresh start, please. And I think it's that God-shaped hole in us crying out for new beginnings. So I really love this whole New Year's thing that the world does. I'm like, that's right. All of creation is groaning out, crying out for God, right? And also New Year's resolutions are cool because we know that who we are right now is not our best versions of ourselves. So we wake up New Year's resolutions and that also is this craving for sanctification and transformation by God. Tricky thing is we kind of do it on our own in our own strength. So I think we live like this. I've got a full picture of water here, just imagine it. It's full. And I don't know, are you, are you okay, Savvy? I feel like, have you had a rough week? Yeah, here we go. Let me fill your picture. Filling her, she has one too. You all have one. You good? I'm good. That depleted me a little bit though. But I love you, so it was worth it. And then maybe you like go to work and people are just like pulling water out of you and you're like, oh, I got depleted and I didn't even want to. <laughs> but it's okay because as much as we get depleted throughout the day, we can do things to like refill, right? We sleep, except for last night. Anyone else? That storm was wicked, man. Our, our house was like... Uh, right, babe? We, none of us or our children slept last night, so it's exciting. <laughs> um, but, you know, we can fill back up with sleep. Food is a good one. I like that. I like the food one. Um, you know, shopping used to fill me. Until then, I had to drag little kids with me. That doesn't fill me as much anymore. Um, hiking. Hikers. Anonymous over here. Um, or, you know, all the things we kind of do. It's that self-care thing. And if, there was, if, if I was going to do a New Year's resolution, I would probably make it about self-care this year. Because I've been feeling like this level. You know? And then you pour out and you pour out and you pour out and you're like, and here I am. And then Josh comes home from work, my husband, and, then, and I greet him at the door with an empty jug. <laughs> what do you got for me? And then he's like... <laughs> And we're both like, like, let's just get through dinner and get the kids to bed and sleep and try it tomorrow, right? And I think a lot of the world lives like this. I need something from you. Help me out. I'm mad. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I'm fearful. I've got all, and I have all these needs. You're empty too. You're empty too. Road rage and craziness, and the Seahawks don't win. And it's just like, anyway. Last week, Kevin, man, who was here last week? Whoa, that was a word from God, wasn't it? Dude, it was amazing. If you didn't catch it, you can watch it. It's on our website and on our app. But he had Vignesh up here, and he was talking about going back and forth with God, right? Do you guys remember this? If you weren't here, I'm just going to do a real quick recap. 
run to the Lord. What do you want me to do? Excellent. On my way. I'll do it. I'll do it. Okay. Okay. Go back. Okay. Now what do you want, Lord? Oh, that's not what you wanted me to do. Oh, that's okay. What's next? And we do this living that to me feels a lot like this. Right? And we're like doing this all day long, back and forth with God. And Kevin and Vignesh walked this out on the stage where it's meant to be the Lord leading us and guiding us in life. And we were never meant to carry a picture around. We're never meant to do this. Actually, Jeremiah says it really well. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. That describe humanity. But we sure love our little jugs. We just love them. I can help you. I got something for you. Yeah, yeah, I've got a good, well, I got a drop. <laughs> I got a drop left. Okay, self-care. Let me get some self-care on. If I get a pedicure, then I'll... Whoa, pedicures, like, fill me. I don't... Just me, not you. Greg, you don't get filled? You should have a pedicure. It'll change your life. Am I right, pedicure people? <sighs> so good. Anyway... You guys, my life is really a mix. I've been walking with the Lord for, well, I'm 43. I got saved when I was about three, I think. So it's like 40 years of just, I grew up with Jesus and I know the Lord. And there are a lot of things where I am like, fountain of the living God, pour through me. I'm not going anywhere unless it's you, Lord, right? And then there are a lot of times when I'm like, what fountain? <laughs> I got my own supply. It is so good. You know, it's kind of a mix. So, uh, you know, my folks were here for six weeks. It's my parents and my sister. Gemma's husband surprised her with a trip to come out here for Christmas because we haven't been together. I mean, we worked out we haven't had a Christmas together in 18 years. And uh, my parents hadn't, hadn't met our youngest, Zeke, yet, and he's four. And you hadn't met him either, right? Just Skype. Just Skype. So, oh, yeah, you came. I'm like, yes, you were here a few years ago. Um, but it was awesome. It was so good to have time with them. And then I had to say goodbye. Goodbyes are not my favorite. I don't like saying goodbye to people at all. <laughs> I just like to ignore the fact that they're leaving. Um, but this is that SeaTac uh, Starbucks. You know, it's your last chance to pretend like you're having a coffee and just hanging out. And then this is them in the TSA line. So they were down at the security checkout where you can't, like, run along and follow them as they... Do you know there's some like that, that you can just stay and watch them to the end? This one was like, you, oh, you're gone. And then the TSA guy goes, you can go up on the mezzanine and watch from above. So we got to go up. And I, I should have put that photo in that you took. As their feet kind of went through the line and they went through the security checkpoint, we like literally got down on the mezzanine and we like, we watched their little feet, their little feet in their socks get their stuff. And <laughs> I just wanted every last glimpse of them. Anyway, so that's what happened. So, so then it's New Year's Eve and uh, Joy and Adam and Jack's come over and my sister's there and we're having a great night. And then my mom calls me from LAX. And she goes, um, oh, that was a workout getting down on the floor. New Year resolution. <laughs> um, my mom says, he's going to be okay, but... What? What? <laughs> what happened? What happened? Okay. So then my mom launches into this story. So we left security... And then we went down, did we go one escalator? Well, maybe it was two escalators. You know, we were going to that little train that takes you, and I was like, get to the point! Like, what are you? <laughs> what? Okay, okay, I knew you'd be upset. Um, the train went round, was it three stops? I think it was, oh, it might have been two stops, and I'm like, are you? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm going to rip the Band-Aid off kind of girl when it comes to bad news, you know? 
story goes on. We get out of the, the train and then, you know, there's some escalators that go up and I'm like, yeah, they're really steep escalators that go up many, you know what I'm talking about, they go up many floors. And she goes, yeah, and dad was quite a bit ahead of me on the escalator and he leant on the handle of his carry-on and it went down into the bag and he fell down the escalator head over feet over head over feet. I swore into the phone. <laughs> yeah, my empty jug is full of cuss words. <laughs> oh, you guys, I lost it. I totally lost it. Immediately, I was full of fear and anxiety. I screamed in the phone, I can't let you out of my sight because I am God, apparently. And if I can see people, they don't get hurt. Apparently. <laughs> Because my dad is 80. And here's the truth. I've had a fear of him dying since I was very little. I've been waiting for this day. <laughs> you know what I mean? The fear, fear, fear drives me all the time about that. So all of these places I have living waters flowing through me, this is the one man. Button. Push my button. It's this one. So mum goes, just calm down. And I realize, here are my friends sitting around the table with us, and I am freaking out. My kids are witnessing it. I'm affecting everyone in my household with my ridiculous water pitcher. It's ridiculous. Anyway, mum goes, we got the bleeding stopped. He had cut his head on the edge, because he fell, <laughs> you guys, right on here. We got to Skype with them yesterday and see the bruising down his body. It's the stripes of the grip of the, it was not, oh. and Gemini both are <laughs> kind of screaming into the phone, go to a doctor, what do you mean you haven't gone and got, he could have cracked ribs, I don't even know. I, but my mom is like, calm down. Anyway, ever had anything like that? You're stable, you're solid, you know you can trust in the Lord until that one thing that just pushes your button and then you're like, all the jugs, all the empty water pitches, and you are just disconnected from the living waters and carving for yourself cisterns that are leaked and cracked and, and they don't hold water at all. And why do we think that that's going to solve anything? But sometimes it feels like this. I'm spending time with the Lord and I'm worshipping him. And then I go, hey, my dad is falling down a giant escalator. Oh, you don't care. You're not going to... You're just going to let that happen? You're going to let his suitcase fail? He's 80, BT dubs. Like, can you not be... By the way, sorry. <laughs> He's, you know, and God doesn't do anything and he lets my dad fall and I go, fine, then I better go solve it myself. If you're not going to move, you're not going to do anything, God, you're just going to sit there, then I am forced to do it on my own. That's just sometimes what happens in my life. How about you? How can we stop this existence? This, you guys, is limited and lacking, and anything inside of you that you can pour out to other humans is not helpful. Think of it. We're trading living waters for a plastic pitcher. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Is that okay? Okay. Thank you, Stephanie. <laughs> it's very passionate. I like that. Um, John Woodbury is going to pray for us this morning. Thank you, John. This is why Kurt says something, because there's walking time. Lift up our church, lift up another church. It's to fill in that. <laughs> thank you, John. Can you hear me? Yeah. Lord, we do thank you that you've called Justine to bring this message today as the hearts are open, ready to hear. Yes, we know you're all there is in love, goodness, power, and presence. And we thank you that you never give up, even when we act silly, not trusting in you. 
So let this message go to our hearts this morning and empower us to put our trust in you in the midst of all circumstances. I now would pray for another church, the Sunrise Church in Linwood. May it May the Lion of Judah continue to roar over there. Mm. Thank you in Jesus' name. Mm. Amen. 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 All right, friends. We're in Exodus 3 today. Here's where we're at. Um, So uh, God's people, there was a drought. He used a horrific situation of Joseph being sold into slavery, raised him up. He's a leader in Egypt. Joseph brings all of his family to Egypt as much revered guests, right? And then many, many, many hundreds of years pass and along comes a pharaoh who who knows nothing about Joseph. He could care less about these people that are taking his space and he enslaves them and it seems he used them to build some of the Egyptian things that we think are so cool today, built on the backs of the slavery of God's people. And then Pharaoh decides to kill all of the newborns because there's just so many of them. And that's Moses' generation. And so Moses' mama puts him in a basket in the Nile River, which is quite the river. (laughs) It's crazy. And he floats down. He's going to need counselling later on. I mean, right? That's crazy trauma to experience as a child. He's drawn out by one of Pharaoh's daughters and then the Lord directs her to choose Moses' mama to be his childhood nanny. So Moses gets raised in the traditions of Israel and then gets placed in the kingdom of Egypt as an influencer. It's pretty phenomenal, right? But Moses knows where he came from. And one day he sees an Egyptian god beating on his people and he kills him. <laughs> Apparently floating down a river can make you violent. I mean, he just kills the guy and buries him in the sand. It's it's crazy. And then he's like, no one saw. Okay, we're good. But a little while later, some of his people, they're fighting over something. Moses interrupts them and is like, don't fight. And they're they're like, what, are you going to kill us and bury us in the sand too? Oh. So Moses gets out of town He flees, he's in the wilderness, he ends up finding a people there to live with, he gets married, he has kids, and he becomes a herder, sheep herder, flock herder, I don't actually know, sheep or goats, but he is an animal keeper, and that's where we're picking up today. All right, one day, Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, he led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, Herob, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. I love this about Moses. Sometimes when God moves, I go, I got sheep to care for. I do not have time to go see that right now. Or I think that's just like a hoax, right? Or a mirage. Or I don't know. I just dig that Moses was like, all right, kingdom of God is active. I'm willing to go take a look. And then look at God's response to him. When the Lord saw Moses coming in to take a closer look, God called to him. It wasn't God that made the burning bush in the first place. Do you see that? It's the angel of the Lord. It was only because Moses wanted to know more that then God came and used it and spoke through it. It's kind of interesting, right? God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. The bush knows my name? (laughs) What's going on? This is cool. This is Moses meeting God. It's cool. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. He knows the stories of these guys. These are the stories of his ancestors. He knows what this means. 
oh, the God who did all that crazy stuff with those guys, the most revered people in my culture, is talking to me? So (laughs) I'm reading through this passage, and I I actually said to our Father God, (laughs) it's kind of embarrassing to admit it, but I go, burning bush, it's kind of theatrical, don't you think? Because it just, it's just what came to my heart as I was reading it. I was like, really? I mean, I get rainbows and I get beautiful sunsets, but like, it just was weird. <laughs> Very Wizard of Oz. Yes, theatrical. And I said to him, why did you do this? And what he said was, because needed, Moses needed it. And so do you. Encountering God's holiness is (laughs) mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing. And that's what was happening here. I want to go a little deeper on this concept of God's holiness. And so we um, are going to watch a little video together. Are you ready, guys? You've probably heard the word holy before, or at least sang it in a church song once or twice. And for most people... This idea is really just connected to being a morally good person. So God is holy because he is morally perfect. Yeah, that is part of it. But in the Bible, the idea of holiness is even bigger and more rich. What it's really describing is how God is the creative force behind the whole universe. He's the one and only being with the power to make a world full of such beauty and life. And so all these abilities, they make God utterly unique, which is the meaning of the word holy. So a helpful way to think about God's holiness is by using the sun as a metaphor. The sun is unique, at least within our solar system, and it's really powerful. It's the source of all this beautiful life on our planet. And so you could say that the sun is holy. And you can actually take this metaphor even further in that the whole area around the sun is also holy. Yeah, because the closer you get to the sun, the more intense it gets. Yeah, exactly. So that very power and goodness that generates all this life is also dangerous. I mean, the sun, if you get too close, will annihilate you. And in the same way, there's this paradox at the heart of God's own holiness. Because if you're impure, his presence is dangerous to you. And not because it's bad, but because it's so good. And so the first time we see this paradox of God's holiness, it's in the story of Moses and the burning bush. So God tells Moses to take off his sandals because he's standing on holy ground. And Moses covers his face in fear, and God says, hey, don't come any closer. It's intense. It's actually that intensity of God's holiness that's explored even more in the stories about Israel's temple, which was the main place where God's holy presence was located. And at the center of the temple was this room called the most holy place. It's the hot spot of God's presence. And whether you're an Israelite living in the land around the temple or a priest working right in the temple, you're in proximity to God's holy presence, which is dangerous. Yeah, this is a problem. So how's it supposed to work? Well, in the Bible, the solution is that you need to become pure. So like being morally pure. Yeah, and that's easy enough to understand. But the Bible spends a lot of time talking about another kind of purity, being ritually pure, which is a state where you separate yourself from anything related to death, like touching things like diseased skin or dead bodies or even certain bodily fluids. All these make you impure. And becoming ritually impure isn't necessarily sinful. What's wrong is waltzing into God's presence when you're in an impure state. And so that's why God gave the Israelites very clear instructions for knowing when they were impure, steps to become pure, so that they could go into the temple again. So that's what the book of Leviticus is about. Right. But it doesn't stop there. This idea keeps developing. So later in the scriptures, we find this really interesting story by a prophet named Isaiah. And he has this crazy vision where he's in the temple and he's right in God's presence. He's totally terrified. Yeah, he knows the rules. He shouldn't even be in there. And he's worried about being destroyed. And then this crazy creature called a seraphim. Yeah, that is a crazy creature. (laughs) Totally. So it flies over with a hot coal. And then it sears Isaiah's lips with the coal and says something really weird. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. 
So this burning coal somehow <coughs> makes Isaiah pure. Yeah, it's remarkable because normally if you touch something impure, it transfers its impurity to you. But now here's this new idea where you have this coal, this very holy and pure object, and it touches Isaiah and it transfers its purity to him. Isaiah is not destroyed by God's holiness. He's transformed by it. I mean, the implications of this are just huge. But there's one more development, this time from another prophet, Ezekiel. And he has this vision where he's standing at the temple and he sees water trickling out from it. And then that water turns into a stream and then it grows into a deep river that starts flowing through the desert, leaving this trail of green trees behind it. And then it flows into the Dead Sea, making everything fresh and alive. So instead of becoming pure first and then going into the temple, here God's holiness comes out from the temple, making things pure and bringing them to life. What does it all mean? So we don't know until we meet this man, Jesus. And he claims that he's fulfilling all of these ancient visions, but in surprising new ways. So Jesus, he went around touching people who are impure, people with skin diseases, a, a woman with chronic bleeding or dead people. And when he touches them, their impurity should transfer over to Jesus. But instead, Jesus' purity transfers to them and actually heals their bodies. Jesus is like that holy coal in Isaiah's vision. Right. And Jesus claimed that he was the human embodiment of God's own holiness and that he and his followers were now God's temple so that through them, God's holy presence would go out into the world and bring life and healing and hope. And so this is why Jesus described his followers as having streams of living water flowing out of them. So this is our part of the story where we find ourselves now, but where's this all headed? So the last pages of the Bible end with a final vision about God's holiness. And this time it's by a guy named John. And in his vision, we see the whole world <laughs> made completely new. The entire earth has become God's temple. And Ezekiel's river is there, flowing out of God's presence, immersing all of creation, removing all impurity, and bringing everything back to life. And through them, God's holy presence would go out into the world and bring life and healing and hope. This is why Jesus described his followers as having streams of living water flowing out of them. We are the vessels of holiness that bring his presence to this world. The fact that we keep doing this is a huge problem. <laughs> Isn't it? Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, Rivers of living water will flow from his heart. When he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit, who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. What is the river of living waters flowing from us? The Holy Spirit. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. You guys, this living waters thing is not hard to get. <laughs> God is not far off. Our like, quest to be connected to the fountain of living waters is not difficult. He wants to just put it right in you. Just put it right in you. That is such good news. Shouldn't be so hard. <laughs> Why am I making it so hard? Okay, so Moses is now holy, right? He's had an encounter with the holiness of God. And he's like instantly transformed, right? And then God told him, set up a shrine here around this bush and bring people to this burning bush and they can also be made holy. Is that what, is that what happened? Nope, this is not what happened. This is what you would expect to have happened, right? But no, this is not, it's not what happened. All right, let's see what God did. 
This is what God said from the burning bush to Moses. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Egypt? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? I'm going to translate that for you. Moses' response was, heck no. (laughs) No, I am wanted for murder by the Egyptians, and I am not wanted at all by Israel. You got the wrong guy. In fact, you could have chosen any other human on the face of this planet, and it would have been a better choice than me. (laughs) I'm literally the worst person for this job. You probably don't know who I am, God. Ever felt that way? (laughs) Why would God ask him to do this? Is God cruel? I'm going to send you to people who want to murder you. There's no guarantee of life at this point, except I'm going to use you to lead my people out. Moses doesn't know who he's talking to. True? God answered, I will be with you. Oh, you're not going to stay here on the, in this bush? You're going to like come with me? Excellent. I'm in. Nope. <laughs> that is not what Moses said. But Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? Who are you? I don't know you. You want me to go speak for you? I have no idea who you are. God replies to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am, Yahweh, has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. Moses, I want to be known as the God of Moses. These other guys, nobody knows them anymore. They're stories of old. But I'm going to now send you And they're going to know the God of Moses. And you guys, God is saying it to us too. He, I have no idea why, wants to be known as the God of Justine. I think it's a bad choice. (laughs) I like to swear when my joke's empty. (laughs) He wants to be known as the God of you. The God of Susan. The God of Bill. The God of you. It's extraordinary. (laughs) So Moses, uh, this is my eternal name, my name to be remembered for all generations. P.S. Call him Yahweh. Now go and call together all the elders of Israel. Tell them, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me, and the elders of Israel will accept your message. There's one fear taken care of, right? That was one big whammy for Moses. The, The Israelites don't want me anywhere near them, right? God just resolved it. Are we good? No, we're not good. But Moses protested again. What if they won't believe me or listen to me? It's literally what he just said. It's literally what God just said to him. They will listen to you. And then Moses is like, but what if they don't listen to me? Do you have dialogues with God like that? (laughs) Totally right. What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? And then that dot, dot, dot is like a whole big section of God being like, see the staff in your hand? Throw it to the ground. Oh, look, it turned into a snake. Okay, now pick it back up. And then miracle after miracle, these signs. And God's like, okay, now I'm going to send you with all these signs. Are we good? Are we good? Perform this sign, the Lord told him. Then they will believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, really has appeared to you. Okay, are we good? (laughs) Nope. But Moses pleaded with the Lord, Oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been. You probably don't know. Never have been. And I'm not now, even though you have spoken to me. I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. (laughs) Oh, you probably don't know, God, but my limitations, my history, my past, 
um, the things I deal with, are actually much larger than you are. They're very big. Um, and you're probably not aware of that. <laughs> it's just crazy, isn't it? But you guys, he didn't know who he was talking to. He didn't know. He's holding on to his little picture, <laughs> looking at that big river going, you don't know, my picture's super empty. I can't go for you. He doesn't understand. He's never experienced God going with him. He doesn't even know it's possible. Okay. Then the Lord asked Moses, who makes mouths? <laughs> you don't know who I am. You ready to know who I am? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, Yahweh? Now go. I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what to say. God's getting, like, emotional here. Do you feel it? Uh, years ago, a friend when I was at Bible college, very dear friend to me, uh, I just was meeting her, um, and she said, in class, when you talk about the Bible, as we're talking about it, she goes, it comes alive. I've never understood the Bible like I do when you speak. I think you should be a preacher. And I was like, uh, uh, <laughs> oh, you, no, you don't know me. I have no influence, and I, I no. <laughs> You're cute, you know. And she's like, no, you don't understand. And, but I had a real call to ministry, and I really wanted to serve God's kingdom. I just wanted to. You know, I just did. So I worked in children's ministry and youth ministry for years and years and years, and I loved it. It was great. And I did. I did get to speak God's word. And I saw that what she said was true. God had put a gift in me. Somehow he'd wired my brain in a way that helps people know God's word. And that's cool, and I'm so grateful, right? And then Kurt keeps saying to me, I want you preaching on Sundays. And I'm like... Heck no. <laughs> Just like Moses. And it, it was terror in my heart because there are some passages that talk about women speaking and I didn't know the answers and actually nobody really does. And so I was afraid that if I did it, that God would not be in it because no one knew what those passages really meant, right? And one day Kurt said to me, because Kurt has the theology. Have you heard him talk about women in leadership and women in ministry? He like lays it out and I go, I'm so glad that you understand that. That is not, I don't understand that in my heart. And one day I have to stand before the throne of God and give an account for my life, my unique life. You won't be there. None of you will be there. <laughs> so I can't say, well, Kurt said it was okay for me to preach. But you guys, at the same time, I couldn't say, and this person says it's not okay. And Kurt said, you think the carnage, the, the effect of you not preaching is less than the effect of you preaching. You, lesser of two evils. You are, and you haven't heard from God at all. You are just fearful. You know, read the parable of the talents. People who hide their gifts in the ground out of fear that the master will be harsh? What happens to them? It's not pretty. <laughs> it was this passage. I was praying through it. This is what Kurt said. You're just sitting. You're not asking God. You're not aggressively seeking an answer. And I was like, I don't know how to hear him about this. I don't really want to. <laughs> I like my, like, I don't have to make a decision life. It felt very good. Um, but I felt the Lord direct me to this passage, and you guys, I was reading through it, and I felt Yahweh say to me, who made your mouth? You don't get to tell me that I don't have access to it, because it's, cause I'm like, you don't get it, I'm a girl. <laughs> it's not going to work out. Well, you probably don't understand, God, is it on this, on this planet, people are really upset about those three or four passages. You, know? <laughs> you probably don't get that. And then he said, who made your mouth? You dare not give me access to your mouth? And then I called Kurt and I said, I am now willing to preach. <laughs> All the time. <laughs> because I realized that if I didn't, I was more afraid of that. <laughs> right? God is a calling on your life. What is holding you back? Because God is saying, your excuses are tiny. 
compared to my bigness. And who made you? I made you. All right. (laughs) But again, Moses pleaded, oh, you guys, it keeps going. This is like a train wreck, right? It's like one of those bad TV shows where you're like, oh, man, the writers need need new writers. This is going on and on. But Moses again pleaded, pleaded, Lord, please send anyone else. Anyone. So up until now, I just wonder, was Moses going, I have legitimate concerns, and then God's like, sure, here you go. I have more concerns. Okay, here you go. You know, and he's generally saying, I'll go, but I have some concerns. I have some concerns. Do you know what just happened? We finally got to the root of what's going on with Moses. He doesn't want to go. (laughs) Those were not real reasons. Those were his excuses. He was never willing to go. And the Lord became angry with Moses. Now, you guys, why did God not just say, I feel you, you don't want to go. I'll go to someone else and bless them. You're cool. Why wouldn't God? God was super pushy this day. Right? I mean, he kept at Moses, wouldn't let him any of it, you know, he could have been like, you're right. You're right. No one will, no one will believe that I, I'll, I'll just use someone else. Nope. Why was God so pushy? Why would God force someone to do something against their will? That doesn't seem like the God we know, free will and all. What is going on here? You guys, I really believe that God knows what future Moses says about this moment. Future Moses, because God knows all of it, right? (laughs) This Moses right now is going, I want to go to Egypt. I don't want to go. I'm not going to (laughs) go. I don't want to go to Egypt. I don't want to go. And future Moses is saying, don't leave that place without me. Don't let me say no to you. Right? There's a battle here between a scared, terrified man and the destiny that God has for him. And God won't let you go. God's not going to let you keep using those excuses. He would be cruel if he did. Right? It is his merciful love that he kept pushing Moses Because, fast forward to this same mountain, when Israel is free from Egypt, and Moses is up on the mountain back in God's presence, and God gives him a whole way for Israel to live in their new freedom. No longer slaves. Here's how you live as free people. And he brings those commandments down, and what's going on with Moses? He's glowing He's literally transformed by the holiness of God. He's glowing to the point that people go, can you cover up? (laughs) It was too intense for them. Why? Because they did not know God. Just like Moses did not know God. And that glowing Moses, how did he change from that to this? What was the change agent? Because here he doesn't know God. And he is not glowing. <laughs> right? There's no glow happening here. He's, he is unaffected by his encounter with God right now. Do you know people like that? Years ago, we prayed for a lady who had cancer. We were, a whole group of us were praying for her. And she was miraculously healed. And she even said, it's your prayers. That's why I'm healed. No interest in knowing God. Still. And I'm like, oh my gosh, (laughs) unaffected by the presence of God. My my philosophy professor at university, uh, we were talking about something and I said, well, you know, uh, the Bible says there are not a lot of Christians in Australia. So I was at a secular university and, you know, I'm like, the Bible says, and I said something, you know, something kind of like this because because I was 18. (laughs) I didn't quite know it all. And he's like, oh yeah. Mark 5.8, whatever. <laughs> he like knew the scripture. 
And as I got to know him and talk to him, he knew most of the Bible, word for word, could quote it. Unbeliever, didn't believe in it. It's just a, it's just a collection of fairy tales. It's not real. Unaffected by the presence of God. It can totally happen. So what's the difference? Glowing Moses and don't, 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 I don't want to go. <laughs> don't make me, don't make me Moses. What happened in between? Yell it out. What is here? Fear. Fear. It's a literal place. Egypt. Egypt happened. <laughs> Egypt is the thing that transformed him to knowing God and just being jazzed about it. <laughs> you know? I'm going to tell you that when your buttons get pushed, I think it's God leading you to go into the very place you don't want to so you will know him. And you won't be that terrified little person you were. My mum said, as she watched my dad fall down that escalator, oh, Jussie, it was just a miracle. I saw him being caught. There were angels there. I got to see a miracle. My version is no falling, no bag fail, <laughs> no bleeding, no, no, I don't want that. But you know, my version, no Egypt, means not getting to see God act. Moses' version is no Egypt, no going, and he doesn't realize that equals never knowing God, ever. And that's why God pushed him, right? And that's why God pushes you. If you <laughs> find yourself <laughs> like this, I want to I want, I wanna encourage you to wonder if that's a moment of Egypt for you. Little parts of our lives, big parts of our lives, whatever it is, that we're still not connected to God. I asked my father God, why did I freak out like that in front of my friends, in front of my family? Why am I so not connected to you in important times? And he said, it's because you don't trust me. <sighs> but I do trust you in so many ways, but not in this. And it's because I'm unwilling to go there and experience the pain and watch him move. That's really what it comes down to. <laughs> so I was asking God about these three months, because we have three months together right now. We're in a new sermon series. And I asked the Lord, what do you want us to know? And what I felt him say is, I want you to know, oh, I want you to know me. So these three months as a church family, we're going to be looking at how God interacted with people. We're going to be looking at different names of God because those names became apparent in the middle of very difficult circumstances. That's the truth. You will know God in the midst of difficulty because that's where you see him move, right? Um, <laughs> The confidence of my calling enables me to overcome every difficulty without shame. I won't embarrass myself <laughs> because I know him in whom I believe with absolute trust and confidence in him. And I'm persuaded beyond any doubt that he is able to guard that which I have entrusted him until that day when I stand before him. I know the one in whom I trust. That is how we get living waters flowing through us. Isn't it? That's where we're headed for three months. Does that sound okay? This is why we will go to the Egypts with him. This is why. Stop trying to back away from the hard things. Right? If you're getting buttons pushed about stuff, ask the Lord. 
Uh, is this where we're headed? Oh, we're going into Egypt. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Because I want to know you there. I don't want to be this terrified person anymore. I want to walk into the places. I want to know you. I'm in. I'll do it. By the way, what's funny is, you know, God got mad with him, but then said, like, fine, I'll send Aaron with you. He can be your spokesperson. God never gave up on Moses. It was totally plan B. This was not the best version. (laughs) Even still, Moses encountered him. So God's willing to work with you on this. (laughs) You know, he loves you. The same God who called from the fire to Moses is the same Yahweh who's calling you and me today. So I just wonder if, uh, you know, maybe you should set a New Year's resolution this year to know him. I mean, I'd like to lose a few pounds and... Uh, you know, some people like to learn a new language or, like, read 52 books in a year. You know, like, there's lots of resolutions you could do. But you know what? A thinner me won't impact the world any better. A thinner me won't experience it, the, the goodness of God any better than the current me. You know, the two-language me won't. You know what I mean? We, we want to self-improve in some really great ways. I just want to give this... I feel like this is a word from the Lord for you. That terrifying thing in your life and you're saying God anything but that anything but that why are you allowing this are you kidding me that's the place that he's going to meet you and it's going to blow your mind and we're going to glow and we're going to be streams of living water and I'm so excited because could you imagine us right now if we were streams of living water right now and we were glowing with the presence of God right now like right now it changes so much about our lives and we're the people of God this is who we're supposed to be the only thing that's holding us back is our self-reliance our inability to walk into Egypt does that make sense so we're going to pray You may already have a thing on your mind. You're like, well, I know what my Egypt is. (laughs) It plagues me constantly. (laughs) I want you to bring that to the Lord and ask him about it. If you don't have anything right now, you're like, I really don't know. Ask the Lord to push on that button, (laughs) that thing that triggers you. And if you don't get anything today, have big eyes this week for you doing this. those react- reaction moments because God wants to set you free in that. Okay? So will we pray together? Okay. Yahweh, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Moses, we want to be known as, we want you to be known as the God of us. We will have courage to go with you, God. And I just want to acknowledge, Lord, verbally that the places of Egypt in our lives that seem like attacks from the enemy are opportunities for us to see your goodness, for us to know you. Give us the courage to walk into it, Lord. And right now we ask you, is there something you want us to trust you in that we've been avoiding? Tell us now, God.
Father, we lift our hearts to you. We lift our lives to you. We just give it all to you. Be our God. Be our Yahweh. Have your way, God. We know our future selves are want this. Give us the strength to trust you, Lord. Reach forward and grab communion. Jesus is the one who makes us pure so we can be in God's presence. It's incredible. We're not defiled. We've been made pure because of his sacrifice. <clears throat> Excuse me. So God, we just thank you. Thank you for your death, for your body that has set us free from the things that hold us back. Lord, we eat it. We take you into our lives and we say yes to you. And Father, we thank you for your blood that washes us clean, that heals our diseases, that makes us new. And God, we drink it and we proclaim that it's your Holy Spirit, it's your life, it's your living waters that reside in us, God, and we drink you in, God.